Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Good morning, everybody. Give you all a few seconds to, uh, I know you guys are fellowshipping and conversing, and that's, that's all right. Just give you guys a minute to find your seats. Wow, we got a pretty good crowd this morning. I see a couple of uh, new faces. I certainly hope that this morning you've been made to feel welcomed and been made to feel like family, so, um, and I'll just reiterate the vision of this church. I'm, I'm glad that you're here this morning. I'm glad that you've decided to uh, honor us with your presence, so uh, Living Hope, why don't we give any first-time guests in the room a hand this morning? <clears throat> Amen. So it is uh, 10 past the hour. Um, I'm going to go ahead and jump right into it. Um, this morning's uh, scripture text is a little bit lengthy, so I'm not going to have you guys stand for it. Uh, obviously, if you guys want to, um, obviously it's up to you. But uh, this morning we're going to be reading from the book of Psalms, chapter 55. More than likely it'll be King James on the screen. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard uh, version. And we're going to Psalms 55. Man, what a privilege it is to be up here. Um, serving you wonderful people and teaching this morning. Thank you, Pastor Staten. Uh, thank you, Living Hope. Thank you to the leadership. Um, I want to give you honor this morning. You know, as you guys are turning there, this morning we're going to be talking about burdens. Already this morning I have felt the weight a little bit of what I'm going to teach this morning. Even uh, the majority of the day yesterday I was um, closed in my office studying for this, preparing for this. Um, and even then, I felt a little bit of the weight this morning. So my prayer is that the Word of God would minister to you this morning, hopefully help you deal with a few things in your lives, that we can be, hopefully, the victorious, strong, healthy body of believers so that we can be a great ministry and a help to those who are coming in. Amen? Amen. Amen. Psalms 55, this is David speaking. Listen to my prayer, God, and do not hide yourself from my pleading. Give your attention to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and severely distracted because of the voice of the enemy, because of the pressure of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in anger they hold a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me, and terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Behold, I would flee far away. I would spend my nights in, in the wilderness, Selah. I would hurry to my place of refuge from the stormy wind and heavy gale. Confuse them, Lord. Divide their tongues. For I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around upon her, upon her walls, and evil and harm in their midst. Destruction is in her midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from her streets. 
For it is not an enemy who taunts me, that where I could endure it, nor is it one who hates me, who exalted himself against me. Then I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my confidant. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God among the commotion. May death come deceitfully upon them. May they go down alive in Sheol, for evil is in their dwelling and in their midst. As for me, I shall call upon God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning, and at noon, I will complain and moan, and he will hear my voice. He will redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me, for they are many who are aggressive towards me. God will hear and humiliate them. Even the one who sits enthroned from ancient times, Selah, with whom there is no change, and who do not fear God. He has put forth his hand against those who were at peace with him. He has violated his covenant. His speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken, but you, God, will bring them down to the pit of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit will not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. It's pretty heavy, isn't it? That's a pretty heavy chapter. There's a lot going on there, a lot of uh, turmoil, a lot of anguish, uh, a lot of mixed emotions. If you couldn't tell by how I read it, David is facing a betrayal, but he says it's not from some random individual. It's not from some random person. If it were, I could avoid it. If it were, I could properly deal with it. But he said this betrayal happened from someone that was close to me, someone that I was in in an intimate relationship with, friendship-wise. So what is a burden? I know we use that term pretty loosely sometimes. You don't have a burden for prayer. I got a burden for this, a burden for that. But here's another perspective on burden. Minimalist Joshua Becker stated that a mentor in his life said, each of us are living in the midst of a trial. We're either emerging from one or we're heading towards another one. I don't know if that sounds realistic or pessimistic or maybe somewhere in the middle. But burdens are a common thing. We all carry different burdens, emotional, spiritual, even mental. We carry burdens of our past, regret, past mistakes, or perhaps we carry the burden of the future. Sometimes we know a little bit of what the future holds and that scares us. But what's sometimes even more frightening is not knowing what the future holds. And that's a burden that we can carry. If you're a parent, you certainly carry the burden of, are my kids okay? It's this conflict within me. I, I have complete trust in our youth department, but when my kids are out at King's Dominion or spending a whole week at camp, I'm trepidatious in, in my spirit the whole time. I'm always making sure that my babies are okay. When my kids are sick, I don't, I don't sleep. I know the stereotype is mama takes care of all the babies and 
and my wife does an incredible job, but um, we're a team in this. So when she doesn't sleep, I don't sleep. When she's up with the babies, I'm up with the babies. I, I can't sleep. I couldn't even if I haven't tried. So we deal with the burden of, are my children okay? We deal with the burden of, have I been a good parent? Have I done a good job raising them? Have I done a good job up to this point? And a burden that I probably prematurely put on myself is, how am I going to handle it when my kids grow up and leave the house? I'm very intentional about spending time with my kids. Um, that's a passion of mine. Um, I'm certainly not their best friend, and they understand the, the balance between parenthood and, you know, and all that stuff, but I don't do good. I wept like a baby the first week that Chichi was at camp. Yeah. <laughs> and they sent me pictures, but it didn't help. I don't know if, um, I'm, I think, I don't want to admit it, but I think I'm a little bit of a smotherer. You know, I smother my children a little too much. You know, I don't like even running errands. But I'm like, hey, you want to come with me? Let's go have some ice cream. <laughs> How about you who, whose kids are grown? Perhaps in college. All right? Or maybe even married. The burdens just don't go away. They just have a different face. Right? With all the weight and burden that each of us already carry in life, Logic would stand a reason that none of us would purposely choose a burden. Why would we? It doesn't make any sense. The fact is that we don't always pick our burdens. We don't always pick what we go through. Considering all the things that weigh down in our hearts and in our lives, death, loss, illness, worry, what about politics weigh us down? Financial hardships, grief, guilt, marital tension, any tension in any relationship for that matter, traumatic events. Every weight, whatever label you want to put on it, is something that we carry on our shoulders, whether we want to or not half the time. Many of these burdens are inevitable, and many of them are entirely outside of our realm of control. Regardless of the origin, regardless of where it came from, we carry those with us every day on a daily basis. Ellen Galinsky the head of the Families and Work Institute, conducted a survey of 1,000 families. Each family, that was part of the, re the requirement, each family had to have children. So 1,000 families with children. And he asked the children, if you were granted one wish about your parents, what would it be? Most parents, myself included, thought that the answer was going to be time. Spend more time with me. Spend more time with mom. Spend more time with dad. Surprisingly, that wasn't the answer. The number one wish, the number one common desire is that I wish that mom and dad were less tired and less stressed. Children picked up on that. I know sometimes we pawn them off as just kids, but they see more than what we think they see. By show of hands, how many of you would honestly say, Brother Alberti, I have a consistent, healthy sleep pattern in my life. If you raise your hand, I will be jealous. Man, look at some folks here get full eight hours. Gosh, man, I know I don't. You would think that the evening time is a time to wind down, but you know many of us would probably relate to that nighttime is a time where the engine is revved in our minds, and we're constantly thinking about the next day or 
what has happened today or what I'm facing, what I'm going through. Because here's the reality, and I promise this is going to go positive, but here's the reality. Life is not easy. It's never been easy. It was never meant to be easy. Jesus may have promised us a lot of things, but an easy life was not one of them. He never said that our days would be just, just constantly open, full of light and happiness, not one cloud in the sky. He never said that, that everybody who you love and everybody who you invest in is going to reciprocate that 100%. He never said that you were never going to be hurt. He never said that you were never going to be offended. He never said that you were never going to feel betrayal. He never said that you were, were never going to experience loss. He never promised you that you would never fail, that you would never experience death or pain of any kind. He never said that your life was going to be a smooth journey. He never promised you that there was never going to be roadblocks and potholes in life and detours and unexpected turns. He never promised you any of that. But what he did promise us is that he would be forever standing by our side. That he would be forever carrying us through those tough moments, those tough, chaotic empty, void moments in our lives. He promised us that he would be forever outstretched towards us. He said that in every season of hopelessness, your brokenness, he would bring you hope, he would bring you strength, that his grace would be sufficient for you, that his mercies would be made new to you every morning. He promised you that he would be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He promised you Beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for when you're heavy in your spirit. If I could encapsulate all those promises, is that God promised us that we would never have to fight alone. What an incredible promise, right? But I want you to listen to those words, never fight alone. He didn't always promise you that you would never have to fight. I believe that there are times, Pastor, where God gives me a little tag that says, it's okay. You can get out of the battlefield right now. Get out of the ring. I got this. I believe wholeheartedly that there's times like that. But some of the greatest moments where we, you and I grow in our walk with God is when we're fighting alongside God. When we're on that battlefield and we're getting hit by those darts, we're getting hit by life, the things that God said would happen, but yet those things don't consume us. He never once has left us. He never once has forsaken us. The Bible promises that he has never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. I don't know, the older I get, the deeper those scriptures, they don't become so cliche anymore. They don't become just something that I, I've heard in Sunday school. You know, They don't become just something that I hear in a song. But when you go through life a little bit, those verses have a deeper meaning. It hits differently. So as we go back to our opening scripture, it's evident that David is in some sort of anguish. It's conjecture by many theologians that David penned these words as he was dealing with Absalom's betrayal. Other theologians speculate that it could have been that he wrote this when he was fleeing from Saul, but the common consensus is that Psalms 55 was written as he was dealing with the betrayal of Absalom. In particular, it was estimated that the enemy that he speaks of here is either Absalom or Ahithophel, which is his trusted advisor, or both. 
Either way, when you read what happened in the Bible, both of these men dealt treacherously with David. But today we're going to talk about Absalom. The man remembered as the rebellious son of King David. A man that had charisma, but no character to rule. Absalom was the third son of David. And when you read in Samuel, Absalom seemed to have everything going for him. He was a you know, pretty upstanding guy. But much like many tragic figures in the Bible, he attempted to take what didn't belong to him. Ironically, his name means father of peace. Absalom means peace or father of peace. But Absalom followed his pride and his greed and tried to seize his father's throne. Sadly, his story is one of a man who tried to overthrow the plan of God. Instead, his life ended in a violent downfall. So I asked myself, what drove? What could drive Absalom to such a thing? How, how, how did we get here, Absalom? How did we get to this place? Well, the Bible says that Absalom was praised as the most handsome man in Israel at the time. And I thought that was just an opinion, a commentary, but when you read in Samuel, it actually says that he was flawless from head to toe. Flawless. From head to toe. Well, if God said it, I guess he was a flawless man from head to toe. Man, this version says from head to foot. Man, that's detailed. But it also says he had long, beautiful hair. Did you know that his hair, he cut it once a year, and that it weighed about 200 shekels? In case you're wondering what that is, theologians speculate anywhere between four to six pounds. That's a lot of hair. That's a lot, four to six pounds of hair. And here's what else we know about Absalom. He had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And here's where it gets a little serious, folks. Tamar was a virgin. And another one of David's sons named Amnon. He was their half-brother. Amnon fell in love with Tamar. He desired her. The Bible says that he lured her into his bedroom, pretended to be sick, and requested that Tamar take care of him. Once he lured Tamar into his bedroom, he requested to be intimate with her. And when Tamar refused, Amnon raped her, had his rape with her. And then it even says that once he was done, he rejected her in disgrace. Let that sink in for a moment. I'm building some foundation here of what happened. For two years, Absalom protected Tamar after that incident, keeping it silent, sheltering Tamar in his home, because regardless of what happened, she was now disgraced. For two years, Absalom waited for David to do something about it. You know, my entire Christian walk, I never bothered to dive into this story. I always viewed it at surface level. You know, I remember even in Bible college, I think, they would say, oh, Absalom was just upset because he didn't get what he wanted. From it was always something very surface level. So I just viewed Absalom as this little brat, you know? 
But when you see the story, there was a legitimate hurt there. Something happened that was treacherous in and of itself. So when he saw that David did nothing about it, Absalom's rage and anger overflowed to the point where he began to vengefully plot against his father. I'm certainly not justifying what Absalom did, but we cannot hide our faces from the fact that something happened there. So one day, against probably against David's desires, Absalom invited all the king's sons to a sheep-shearing festival, and Amnon was there celebrating. And what did he do? Absalom ordered all his soldiers to kill Amnon. Absalom, with his action, says, Dad, David, whether you do it or whether I do it, Amnon is going to pay. Dad, I gave you two years to handle this, and you did nothing. I can't continue to have my sister live in disgrace. Something there happened that drove Absalom to this. After the assassination, Absalom fled to Geshur, where he hid for three years because he knew that he had committed a crime. But even in spite of all this, David missed his son deeply. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 13, 37, that he mourned his son day after day. Finally, David allowed him to come back to Jerusalem. So he was banished. And when he came back, Absalom began to gradually undermine the king. I'm telling you the story here so you understand where I'm going with it. David may have been a lot of things. He was a soldier. He was a worshiper. He was a man passionate about the things of God. He was indeed a man after God's own heart. You'll never see David making excuses in the Bible for his actions. You'll never see David passing the buck, so to speak. David always owned up to what he did. But if we have to be realistic here and honest with ourselves, David was not the best at controlling himself, and he wasn't the best at managing judgment within his own family. He really wasn't. As I began to read some of the failures of David, I remember thinking to myself that when we read the story of him and Bathsheba, we always paint this as a dual enclave thing, that, yeah, David shouldn't have been looking, but Bathsheba shouldn't have been on the roof doing her thing. We kind of blame them both. And pastor, I began to read in the three versions that Brother Whitley recommended. And not one of those versions, believe it or not, my intent is not to mess with your theology here, but not one of those versions put Bathsheba on the roof. Not one. David was on his roof. Go back and read it. So that he woke up from his nap when he should have been at war. David should have been at war like the rest of the kings did in his day. But he woke up from his nap in the evening, and David was on the roof. And the Bible says that from his vantage point, he saw Bathsheba. And he inquired about her. But when you read further, he just took it. That's what it says. He sent his messengers, and they took her. David was not the best at controlling himself. And as we see here, when he was confronted by Nathan, and Nathan gave him this story, David's real feelings about those actions were revealed when he said, whoever this man is, bring him to me and kill him. Let's kill him. And Nathan said, well, I'm glad you feel that way, David. I'm glad you feel that way about this action because that man is you. And David said, well, let me finish. When I said kill him, I meant kill him with mercy. 
I chuckled at that story, but I was a little irritated with David. All of a sudden, Dave, mercy means something. You're ready to kill the guy until you find out it was you. And once again, a few chapters forward, we see him not able to deal again with anything. So going back to Absalom, at this point, Absalom was getting in people's ears. He was charismatic. The guy knew how to work a crowd. He knew how to work a room. And when David learned of his rebellion, he and his followers fled to Jerusalem. And meanwhile, Absalom was taking advice from David's former advisor on the best way to kill David. His advisor betrayed David and began to serve as counselor and advisor to Absalom. And they were both seeking to kill David. Ahithophel gave Absalom shrewd and tactical smart plans on how to overtake the throne. Before the battle, David ordered his troops. Here we see again, David not being able to deal with his children. Look at everything that Absalom was doing. If anybody else would have done what Absalom had done, they'd be dead. But what did David say here? He says, don't touch Absalom. Don't kill him. 20,000 men died that day in battle. 20,000 men. And the story goes, Absalom was riding his mule under a tree, and those lovely locks that was a source of pride to him got entangled in that tree. And Joab, one of David's generals, took three javelins, thrusted it through his heart. And then to add insult to injury, the proverbial double tap, 10 of Joab's armor bearers finished him off as if three javelins weren't enough. Finished him off. Betrayal is a heavy burden, folks. Offenses are a heavy burden to bear. This story is one that reads like a soap opera. This story of Absalom and David is one that reads like something you would see on a, on a movie or something. But it happened. But betrayal, hurt, offense, letdowns, those are heavy burdens to bear. It's never a pleasant experience to be betrayed by a friend, an acquaintance even, or a family member. Depending on how close the relationship is, some of those betrayals bring about a pain that defies description. I was talking to Brother Junior last night about the PSI count behind Mike Tyson's punch. An average mule kicks at 500 PSI. An average horse stomps at 700 PSI. But it was stated that Mike Tyson's uppercut was between 8 and 900 PSI. One guy who he knocked out was quoted saying, when he hit me with his uppercut, I, my eyes watered up and I went blind for a minute. I couldn't see what was going on. So when I use that example, I use it because I would rather experience that. I would rather experience physical pain in my body than to endure the pain of hurt and of betrayal. Such was the pain and burden David felt at the betrayal that he experienced through Absalom. It was painful. Any parent in here would know that would be painful. 
I can only imagine that David not only felt the sting of betrayal, but the weight and the possible guilt or remorse over how he dealt with Amnon all those years ago. There's no Bible for it. I'm only speculating. But I wonder if it went through David's mind, had I just dealt with Amnon years ago, none of this would have ever happened. Yet, in spite of all this, David explicitly ordered his soldiers to deal gently with Absalom, he says. Deal gently with the young man, Absalom, for my sake, he said. And all the people heard when the king commanded and all the commanders regarding Absalom. It was a very explicit detail. It was clear what David said. It wasn't that Joab just maybe misunderstood. It wasn't that these men maybe just didn't hear David. The Bible was clear that David made it quite clear, don't don't touch Absalom. However, we know that wasn't the case. Despite David's order, Joab took the occasion as an opportunity to slay the rebellious son. Word of Absalom's death surely and without a doubt must have increased the burden and the pain that David was feeling exponentially. Nevertheless, David knew where to turn. Nevertheless, David, in spite of everything he was facing, he knew where to go for his strength. He knew where to go for his hope. He knew where to go for his encouragement. He knew where to go for his help. Because David understood one thing that I hope I understand this morning, and I hope that everybody in this room understands this morning, is that we don't always get to control what suddenly happens in our lives. Amen? I can't control what happens to you. I can't control what hurts come my way. I can't control what disappointments come my way. I can't control even the things that knock me down to my core. I can't control that. But you know what I can control? I can control me. I can control how I react to it. I can control my reaction to those circumstances. I can't always control what happens to me. Despite Absalom's out-of-control rebellion, an effort to take over the throne, David still extended love, David still extended mercy, and David still extended grace. And I'm conflicted behind that decision because on one end, I'm like, David, you should have dealt with Amnon. You should have dealt with Absalom. But on the other end, I know a heavenly father that in spite of my rebellion, in spite of what I go through, in spite of what I do, he still extends his love and mercy towards me. We don't know what David's plan was. Maybe he wanted to spare Absalom. Maybe he wanted to rehabilitate him. Maybe he wanted to make things right. And he never got that opportunity. When we fail to control our responses to life circumstances, we risk acting in ways that will invite God's judgment in our lives. Absalom's outrageous actions brought about its own retribution. Absalom and David's actions always brought about its own level of judgment. Like I said, I can't control what happens in my life. I can't control what offenses come my way. I can't control what hurts come my way. But I can control two things. I can control the fact that I can be a good brother in Christ and not put you in positions where you have to make bad, where you have to make difficult decisions. I shouldn't be putting you in positions where I'm provoking you or I'm hurting you or I'm offending you willingly. But at the same time, if I'm put in that position, I also control how I react to it. You, me, we decide how we respond. Not just when others let us down. Not just when others fail us. But we decide how we feel and how we respond when we feel that God has let us down. 
Now, before you label me as sacrilegious, it's very possible and very real to feel that God has let us down. Let me preface by saying this. God does not fail. God, his will is perfect. His will is always true. However, I have to understand the reality that sometimes God's perfect will and sometimes God's true will sometimes doesn't line up with our human desires and our human expectations. And when that happens, we feel let down. Was God wrong? No. Did God fail? Absolutely not. I understand that his ways are much higher than our ways and that his thoughts are much higher than our thoughts. But see, disappointment with God and hurt because something didn't go our way is part of what builds our strength. It's part of what builds our maturity. It's part of what builds our faith in God and in turn breeds faithfulness towards God. It's what happens when we have certain expectations of something we believe God will do or God should do. And when he doesn't do that thing, when we expect God to open this door or that door or perform this miracle or that miracle, and we are come up le- left empty-handed, that's when we're left with huge disappointment and the very strong feeling that God just let us down or that God failed to live up to our expectations. And in some cases, much like David felt, much like Absalom felt, we feel betrayed. Here's what we need to understand, though. God works all things according to his will. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance to the plan of his will. That means he controls everything. And that means he knows what's best for you. And he knows what's best for me. But here's the catch. You have to give it to him. And I think sometimes we misunderstand what releasing a burden feels like. And I'm not trying to discourage anybody this morning, but releasing a burden doesn't mean that the pain goes away. Releasing a burden doesn't mean that the memory of what happened goes away, whatever the case might be, whatever label you want to put on it. It just means that we give him room to operate in our lives, to give us a peace that passes understanding, to give us a peace that goes beyond comprehension. The barrier that keeps us from prayer and giving things to God is not whether or not we think that God is strong enough. It's not whether or not we believe that he can even do it for us. It's that at times we lack the humility to admit God, I need help. It's easy, pastor, to get caught up. I'm a licensed minister in this church. I'm a leader here. I'm a leader at work. Leader in my home. And those things alone sometimes cloud me from being able to admit, you know what, I need some help. God, I need you to intervene. There's the Jose that I display, and then there's Jose that I really am sometimes when nobody's looking. Many of us distance ourselves from God, wondering if he's even interested in who we really are. You know why that is? Probably because we know our imperfections so much better. 
we exalt our imperfections over our knowledge of God's pure strength and unwavering compassion toward us. So we entertain the voices of negativity that nag us consistently. God lets you down. God doesn't love you. God doesn't care what that person did to you, what that person said to you. And before we know it, we are withdrawn into a cave of isolation. All the while, we forget that he says, having cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I find comfort in those words. But in order for those words to really comfort me, I have to apply the first two verses, verses 5 and 6 of 1 Peter chapter 5, where he says, clothe yourselves with humility. Clothe, clothe yourself in humility, what? Towards one another. Because God has opposed the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety and worries upon him because he cares about you. My God, he cares about you. He loves you so, so unconditionally. Without exception, he loves you. But we have to give it to God. These burdens we carry, these offenses, these pains that we carry, these grudges with one another and grudges with God that we carry, whether you know it or not, they take their toll on you. They take a heavy toll. And whether you realize it or not, whether I realize it or not, they take their toll on the body of Christ as well. They take their toll in this family of believers. Sadly, some of the casualties of undealt burdens, some of the collateral damage that takes place of undealt with grudges, undealt with offenses, undealt with bitterness, is that others end up paying the consequences for hurts that they didn't cause and betrayals that they didn't commit to you. That's why forgiveness releases that burden. I was angry with God. Boy, was I angry with God. After I got off the pulpit that day, Pastor, that I preached on faith, I felt like such a hypocrite because part of me didn't believe it, but I knew that I had to encourage the body. But I was angry with God, incredibly angry. I remember hearing people in the past say that, and I never quite understood, why would you be angry with God? I never put myself in their shoes. I always thought they were angry over trivial matters. I didn't get the job that I wanted, or this door didn't open up. And I always viewed it at a surface level trivial thing. But it wasn't until I sat there in that room, not being able to physically touch my mother. And as I sat there, and the woman that I was seeing in that bed wasn't the woman that I knew. But it was the first time in my life that I, I felt abandoned. And I was angry, Pastor. Regardless, here I was, fighting grief, fighting anger, and feeling more distant than God than I ever had before. For months, 
I battled anxiety for months. I battled depression. And in my anger and my frustration, I went months at times without opening my Bible. I spent the majority of my time giving God the proverbial silent treatment. And when I was talking, I was yelling at God. I found out, though, that in that time, I realized in that moment, my God, just how merciful you are. My God, how compassionate you are. How long-suffering you are with me. I also found out that God can take it. God can take my anger. God could take my temper tantrums. He can take it all. He knew how to handle me. That's why this morning I'm pleading with you, body of Christ, starting with me, forgive. Forgive those who hurt you. Forgive those who abused you. Forgive those who never gave you the apology and the closure that you wanted. And forgive God this morning. Talk to him. Tell him how you really feel. Trust me. He can handle it. Do me a favor this week. I want you to think about four things. Number one, God can handle your angry questions. When we express frustration or anger towards God, he meets us with grace. So don't be afraid to express how you feel towards God because he already knows your pain and he sees what you're going through. And number two, remember that God is always working things for your good. He may allow some bad things to happen. He may allow heartache to overwhelm you to the point where you feel like you're going to explode, but he's always looking to work things out for your good. Allow your offense, allow your hurt, allow that betrayal to become an opportunity for you to grow more intimate with God and to know God even more. I can't explain it. I really can't. And as analytical as I am and as much as I want to understand it, some of the times that I drew closer to God were in my darkest moments. Some of the times where I felt God so near to me was when I felt it was in my darkest moments. When God was helping me carry that burden. When God was helping me work through it. Wilderness always has a way of bringing us closer to God if we let him. And remember, God didn't do anything wrong. God didn't do anything wrong, but it's still okay to forgive him. It's easy for us to blame God when things don't go our way because we think he's out to get us or we think that maybe he's punishing us for something. But God isn't wrong for what he does. He's never out to hurt you. He's never out to make you suffer for no reason. But if you can come to a place where you say, God, I forgive you for this. That's when healing really begins. And ultimately, healing is what we want, right? I'm winding down. Absalom. Charismatic. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to 